So let me uh, pray for us as we begin um, this time to hear from God's word. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a God who is faithful. You love us dearly. And you're the great physician. So I know I just want to lift up that issue with the coronavirus, in particular to our Naga team, so that you would protect them as they travel, but also uh, eliminate any kind of barriers that they will encounter um, during their travel. Lord, you are one who loves us so deeply that you sent us your son who on the cross made it possible for us to be redeemed into your family. So Lord, at this time as we hear about the uh, importance of love and the importance of unity among diversity, that you will give me the words to speak so that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you. So I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Last weekend, my wife and I had an opportunity to go into San Francisco to see a a documentary that's called Chinatown Rising. And it's a documentary about the happenings in Chinatown and in San Francisco during the 60s and 70s. And it's kind of personal for Terry and I because we grew up uh, in that era in San Francisco. Uh, The documentary was produced by the Reverend uh, Harry Chuck, who who happens to be Terry's uh, youth leader and church leader when she was growing up. And then I had many friends who, who were attending that church, and so I knew Pastor Harry personally too. And the movie was talking about during the 60s and the 70s about low-income housing in Chinatown and how uh, political and social uh, forces were working in San Francisco. If you, if you recall, during the 60s, if you know your history, it was a very turbulent time. There was the Vietnam War, and it was also the time of the civil rights movement. And on the wave created by our African-American brothers and sisters, there was the passing of the, of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. So in this midst of this wave, there was this rise in ethnic pride. It was the first time that Asian-Americans uh, felt that their voice could be heard against social justices or social injustices. And so during the 60s and the 70s, the movie uh, Chinatown Rising dealt with the birthing of Asian-American ethnic studies at San Francisco State, also right here at UC Berkeley. So it was a time that great things were changing in the world, in particular in the areas of ethnic identity. And, and, And there's a common warfare tactic that was addressed in the, in the movie. And it's a concept of divide and conquer. The film dealt with this issue with Chinatown being a ghetto. Now, ghettos are not always the first choice for people to live at. It's actually only an option given by dominant culture who create those kinds of slums and ghettos. Segregation is a form of the concept of divide and conquer. So creating neighborhoods that become known as slums and ghettos is a way for dominant culture to oppress groups of people they want to control over. And and this shouldn't surprise us, 
because we just have to look at American history, and there are many examples of this, like reservations, the Exclusion Act, segregation, internment camps, prisons, redlining, and restrictive covenants. By segregating, separating, isolating, dividing people, one can more easily conquer other people. That's the concept, the warfare technique, uh, tactic of divide and conquer. Now, on a lighter side, I experienced this lesson myself in a practical sense back in high school. When I was uh, uh, in high school in San Francisco, uh, a very popular club was the Chinese club. The Chinese club was a club that, that uh, celebrated the Chinese culture and had great fundraising techniques, raised a lot of money. So uh, they were used for charitable things, for service, but also to have fun, to party. And so when I was a senior, every year, the club always has their elections for officers. And, and, and as a senior at that particular time, my buddies thought it would be a good idea that that we could kind of take over the club by becoming officers of the club so we could have access to that treasury so that we could then put on a pretty good party according to our desires. Now, so the strategy was that apparently the, the girls in the club had put up two candidates. And these, these women were very popular uh, among the, the members. And so my friends, my guy friends were saying, well, they got two candidates. If we nominate one guy, essentially they have a split vote. So they nominated me as a candidate for the, for the club president because among them I was probably the most respectable and, and wouldn't uh, cause any issues with some of the uh, women members. And so it was me against two, two other women. And I was a total nerd. And, and I, am, I was not a BMOC, you know, big man on campus, far from it. But because the women had two very popular candidates and against myself with a unified single voting block of male guys, I won. Strategy worked. So this concept of divide and conquer can be very useful in certain circumstances. Well, you know what? We're in a, in a sermon series about spiritual gifts. And so why is this relevant to that topic? Well, this tactic, this weapon of divide and conquer in the spiritual realm is used by Satan himself, who is known as the destroyer. And Jesus warned us about this danger. In Matthew 12, Jesus had just healed a demon-possessed man, and the Pharisees were saying Jesus was not God, but was able to heal because he was doing the workings of Satan. And so in response, reading from Matthew 12, verse 25, knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. What Jesus is saying here 
is oftentimes we are always wary of enemies from outside. What Jesus is talking about, there is actually more danger with enemies from within. So what does love got to do with it? So Jesus countered this, this kind of thinking of preventing division by saying in John 13, verse 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That, that phrase, to have love for one another, is repeated over and over t- again many times throughout the New Testament. We are called to love people and serve the world through our spiritual gifts. Yet, we keep on hurting each other, even in our usage of spiritual gifts, as we try to love and serve. And this is an issue that the Apostle Paul had to address in the church, in the early church. This was the exact problem in the context of spiritual giftings and how conflict was happening in the early church of the haves and have-nots. In 1 Corinthians chapters 12 to 14, Paul's teaching about spiritual gifts. And in the Corinthian church, there was a conflict happening over uh, specifically the speaking of tongues, a particular spiritual gift that the Holy Spirit gives. 1 Corinthians 13 verses 1 to 3 says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver, deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Here in this passage, which is in the context of spiritual gifts, Paul is reminding the church of Jesus' command to love one another. And he expressed this in this particular passage three times. Three times he says, but have not love. And each time he says that, it's followed by a particular consequence or outcome that's negative says, if I have not love, I am a noisy gong. I am nothing. I gain nothing. So Paul is stressing, even in the use of our spiritual gifts, or any of our gifts or abilities, if we do not do it in love, then it's futile. Spiritual gifts are given to us to edify and build up the body of Christ, and not to tear apart or divide the church. After Paul tells the church about spiritual gifts, he gives a list of them, and he addresses the importance of unity. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 14 to 27, brings this concept together under the metaphor of the body and the parts of the body. Verse 14, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? 
But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. Or which unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so comprised the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This concept of many parts, but one body, a unity among diversity. There's three things to highlight here from this passage that point to this this concept of unity. The first thing is that diversity is not division. Verse 14 says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. This implies diversity. But diversity is not division. Having differences is not division. Being different is not division. Because all belong to one body. Second, unity is not conformity. Verse 20 says, As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Meaning, all the parts aren't the same. You get it, the ear is not the eye. The hand is not the foot. God wants us to be unified, to be one, but we are not to be the same. Unity is not sameness. Because he designed us each uniquely, and the beauty is we are all different. The world would be a very boring place if we were all the same monotone color but we are a world of many colors. And finally, God designed us to be interdependent. Verse 25 says that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We need all of us to do our part. We cannot excuse ourselves from the action We are interconnected, like the many different parts of the human body. So this concept of unity among diversity is one that Paul is is emphasizing here. It comes from being able to do that because we are to love one another in spite of our differences and our diversity. Now, when we apply this to the spiritual gifts... There are some cautions and dangers in exercising our spiritual gifts that can break down unity. Because these giftings in themselves have a good side, but there's also a bad side, or more of a dark side to the gifts. And I want us to be aware of some of these things that can happen over the area of of, of spiritual giftings. And one of the dangers or cautions to be aware of is the first thing is 
is gift envy. I hear this often, that, that many people will say, oh, I'm so incapable. I, God, God, I don't know what I can do. There are pe- other people who are so much better than I am. That's ridiculous. You're all important in building up the body. We do it together. And some will say that I have no gifts. They feel inadequate or jealous or envious of other people. Well, I assure you that if you follow Jesus Christ, then you will have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And according to the scripture, the Holy Spirit gives every follower of Christ a gift mix, a spiritual gift mix to serve God, to serve others, to build the church. So that's the first danger or caution is this, this issue of gift envy or jealousy. The other one is gift projection. It's projecting our gift onto others. And this problem is illustrated by this kind of thinking that why isn't he or she like me? Right? It comes in the form like those who are more global missions oriented think why aren't everybody else global-minded issued on the issue? Or some of us are really good about teaching or, or studying the Bible. And he said, why aren't other people like that? Or I'm, I'm really good at serving. Why aren't other people serving like I'm serving? So there's this kind of projection that we want other people to be like ourselves. Well, it doesn't work that way. We're all different. I mean, we deal with this often as pastors in premarital counseling, where couples say, I'm going to change that person to be just like me. And they go, oh, oh, oh that's going to be a problem. <laughs> it doesn't happen. And the same thing here in spiritual gifts. We always think, why aren't people like myself? Well, there is some truth that opposites attract. And we have to remember that. Envy, projection, and finally, there's this other danger or caution called gift pridefulness. Is that my gift is better than your gift. That's pride. And it can't happen in the church. And, and, and there's a problem with this, this, this thinking that there are better gifts than others because we begin to idolize people with certain giftings. Certain gifts like leadership or, or teaching or exhorting. Um, these kind of more visible, uh, upfront kind of gifts get idolized, celebrated, encouraged and affirmed. But more behind-the-scene gifts are sometimes not appreciated. And that's a danger. And that can create idolatry, a false sense of what is important and what is not. Verse 21 says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. And, and so this thing that's about pridefulness, it's a danger, even in the area of spiritual giftings. And, and so if you 
you know, I just want to take a moment here, too, to remind us that we're encouraging all of you to take that, that spiritual gift test online. Um, it's in your bulletins. Uh, it's spiritualgifttest.com. Um, and there's a code that we want you to use so that to, uh, your results can then be forwarded to our, our, our church staff. So we kind of know from the results what we have among us. So it's very useful to, to know that information. But even for yourselves, just if you've never done it or you haven't done it in a while, it's good to take that test. Um, I took it. I know our staff has. I've taken many tests in the past, different versions, and they've consistently come back with similar results. So you never know what test you're taking. Uh, but this one seems to work out the easiest, especially it's online, and then we can get pretty easy results transmitted to us digitally. So I encourage you to do that. It's very helpful for your own, for your, for your own knowledge, just to know yourself. And then uh, the best test uh, or, or understanding of spiritual gifts is not only taking that test for yourself, but a second part is to have affirmation from other people who truly know you. So that combination of taking the test, so you do a self-inventory, but then to have others that really know you to see if they, are, they see evidence of that in your life, especially in your spiritual life or your, your uh, Christian walk. So combine those two. That's a really helpful way of understanding spiritual gifts. And, and a lot of you are wondering why spiritual gifts. And, and I think Pastor Andrew did a great job to start us off, is that a lot of times in a world that is modern, logic, rational, we don't really put value in these supernatural things. As Christians, we are not just normal people. Through the Holy Spirit, we are now connected to the spiritual world. And we have supernatural powers if we actually realize it. It is actually Satan who puts a cloud in front of our eyes to not see this. Because Christians with supernatural power would be very dangerous to Satan. So I encourage you, don't take this lightly, but to tap into what God has given to you. Um, quick poll among our staff, Pastor Andrew, in his uh, top gifts, one of his gifts is is prophecy. The other one is apostleship and leadership. For Caitlin, her top, top gifts are apostleship, pastoring, and serving. Um, I can see this, and I can affirm these gifts in my friends. Uh, my gift mix, which I came out on this test, uh, I, the, usually if you're going to take your t the test, there's going to be a mix of four to six uh, that are, you should take as your top gifts. And it's helpful to look at those because sometimes it's going to be a long list of 15 and may not be as relevant. But the top six is a good starting point. Um, so to myself, uh, my gifts are prophecy, knowledge, apostleship, teaching, discernment, and wisdom. Four of these gifts have been affirmed in me in the past by others and other tests. And so I'm going to kind of uh, take you through a little bit of this just to... because. It's really hard to go through all the gifts in this time, time span. So I guess the best way I'm going to do is just use examples from our staff and myself. A lot of this information, a good resource I took out of the book Network, which is written by Bruce Bugby, 
it's, uh, it's been revised many times. It's a good starting point and um, comparable, comparable to other resources, it's pretty consistent. Because in many ways, when we look at these spiritual giftings, there are different definitions. So it depends on your traditions, your theology. It can kind of color those information. But I think this resource is pretty balanced. So one of my top gifts is knowledge. It uh, came out in this test. One of my top three is one that I've come out in, in other tests I've taken. It's been affirmed by um, other Christian leaders that, that know me and have affirmed it. So what is the gift of knowledge? Uh, the gift of knowledge is defined this way. The, define, the divine enablement to bring truth to the body through a revelation or biblical insight. So again, the divine enablement to bring truth to the body through a revelation or biblical insight. So this is an emphasis to reminder too, which Pastor Andrew was very good to, to uh, say, is that spiritual gifts are not natural. They're not your natural abilities or gifts. These are supernatural. These are gifts that God gives to you. And, and they're special in that way. And, and because they are for God's purpose, they're not for my glorification or for my benefit or my gain. It's for God's gain and to the body of Christ. So that's the definition of knowledge. People with this gift often are able to receive truth which enables them to better serve the body. They gain knowledge which was not attained by natural observation or means. And they organize information for teaching and practical use. Certain traits or attributes that that people who have the gift of knowledge is that they're observant, insightful, and truthful. So it gives you a kind of idea of the gift of knowledge. in this resource, other resources, even on the test that we are referring to you, directing you to take, there are definitions and attributes of those kind of gifts. So you can kind of see, does that make sense in, in yourselves? Now, I want to give a story how I can kind of illustrate this gift in myself, this gift of knowledge. So uh, oftentimes I will... Um, get visions or words uh, from God. And one time to demonstrate that, we have these uh, monthly core team prayer meetings. And part of the, an exercise that we do before we begin praying is to sit and listen, to hear from God. And so there's this one morning as we're sitting and listening and sensing God, I saw in my mind two little black dots and then those little dots expanded to two eyes and those two eyes began to form an eagle so when I saw this eagle my mind goes to Isaiah 40 and some of you are familiar with the the verses in Isaiah 40 Uh, Verse 30 to 31. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now, so that was an image that God 
I sent God giving to me, and so I took note. So after we do this period of time of listening to God, then we kind of share. So Pastor Andrew that morning said, I'm really tired. With everything going on in the church, I'm just tired. And I don't know, I just, you know, I, I had to I have to admit I, I really didn't feel anything from God. And then so when he said he was tired, then I'm going, whoa, okay. This verse that, that came to mind through this image of an eagle was perfect. And so as I'm sharing that with Andrew, Pam, who's another person in, uh, on our team, she just perked up and said, whoa, when I was sitting and listening to God, I got this verse, Isaiah 40, verse 29. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Believe it or not, does God speak to us to give us knowledge, particularly for another person to hear? So I shared that story. Yes, at least in my experience. That's the gift of knowledge. Now, there are, there are often, as I said, good things and bad things about spiritual gifts, and I want you to all be aware of that. And so, cautions for, for the gift of knowledge is, is that a person with that gift needs to be careful of this gift leading to pride. And uh, I must admit, I am sometimes one of the most arrogant SOBs around. So pride does come up. Need to be uh, reminded, too, that people with a gift of knowledge have to remember that the increasing of knowledge comes the increasing of pain. That's the scary part. More knowledge God gives to us, or to me, that means there is going to be more pain to me in exercising that gift. And uh, in my many years of experiencing this, that is true. Leadership is not an easy thing to, to, to do. Um, Pastor Andrew, he has uh, one caution with his gift of prophecy. It is that he needs to be aware that listeners may reject the message if not spoken with love and compassion. And to his credit, he has the humility and the humbleness to be able to see that in himself and admit it. Doesn't take away his gift of prophecy, but there is a dark side and a caution to it. Caitlin, one of her top gifts is pastoring or shepherding. And one who has that gift needs to be aware that the desire to feed and support others can make it very difficult to say no. And if you ever talk to Caitlin, that is one of her issues she struggles with, is the ability to say no to others. But that is the dark side of the pastoring or shepherd gift. We are all called to say pe- to love people, but we can also hurt people in the process of using our spiritual gifts. To know these tendencies is very helpful. So as we serve through our giftings, we can be self-aware of the dark side of our giftings. So in conclusion, there are no right or wrong spiritual gifts. One gift is not better than another. All spiritual gifts have strengths and cautions. 
And, you know, we, we all follow Jesus. And following Jesus gives us freedom. And that freedom came at a cost of him going to the cross. And because we have been reborn, we have been given the Holy Spirit as our guide and counselor. And the Holy Spirit has given Christ followers spiritual gifts. So it's important for us to love God, love people, and serve the world by discovering our spiritual gifts. So take that test. Discover them for yourselves. And Paul writes in Galatians 5, verse 13, For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a good God, a God who loves us and gives us so much grace and mercy. And one of the forms of grace you give to us is spiritual gifts. And so may we be diligent and passionately pursue spiritual gifts so that we can serve you better, but also build up the body better. So Lord, um, may we be obedient and make a difference in this world as you have called us to be. So I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue to respond um, through song and musical worship, I invite you, if something in that message is tugging on your heart and God was convicting you in different ways, we have an amazing prayer team in the back, uh, people who would love to walk alongside with you, uh, pray with you, pray for you, um, and help you process everything you've heard today. And so at any time during the second set of the service, go ahead and make your way back there if you feel uh, the Holy Spirit leading you.